This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone, on another sultry, muggy old day. Uh, happy September to you. Dave, it's hard to imagine September already. Do you? Are you like me and you get that same feeling in September, like, <gasps> back to school? <laughs> Even years and years and years after you graduated? Yeah, I still get it now. There's a little mix of excitement, a little mix of dread, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, and uh, I'm watching it now <laughs> in my own son. So uh, there's more dread, I think, than excitement right now. But that first day is always pretty exciting. Well, there you have it. Well, the local association of realtors today responded to a TD Canada report out of mainland Canada predicting an unprecedented decline in the average price of a home in early 2023. Well, not so here according to Bill Sterling, who says every market is a local market and the report is based on markets in Ontario and British Columbia. Well, that must be good news for Heritage NL, who in recent weeks have been highlighting some prominent heritage structures which are currently available on the market. Well, here to talk about that and some of the other many projects they've been working on this summer is Executive Director of Heritage NL, Dale Jarvis. Hello. Hello. Good afternoon. So how you been doing? I've been good. It's been a busy, busy summer. So I see. And I wanted to touch, what what prompted me to give you a call was I saw this uh, wonderful, I don't know if you call it a real estate listing, (laughs) but Heritage NL has been highlighting some beautiful heritage properties uh, uh, that are currently up for sale. Tell us a little bit about them. Yeah, one of the things we like to do, uh, you know, we, we are the organization that designates buildings that are provincially significant. So we have, gosh, about 300 properties or so across the province, um, and we like to keep track of what's happening with those properties. And and when they when they come up for sale, we have a section on our on our website where we just try to promote those properties because we'd like to see people, you know, purchase those buildings that are you know heritage enthusiasts and who would like to see those buildings uh, maintained as a, as kind of a shared uh, resource and part of our history. Is there an interest in heritage structures? I know sometimes it can be a bit of a tough market, but uh, naturally there has to be a niche market out there for people who love that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right. I think there are pros and cons for owning a a heritage property. Um, You know, certainly an older building, especially a building that has, uh, you know, a heritage designation, and not not every heritage home does, but older properties in general, you know, present challenges. We've seen a lot of issues over the past year just around people, you know, having a very hard time getting materials, uh, for example, or finding people to do work on historic homes. Um, The other issue that people seem to be having, and not just in Newfoundland, but across Canada, is insurance for for older properties. Um, But the other side of that is, you know, older houses have, you know, a charm and uh, and features that you don't see in in modern houses. You know, it was kind of a different era in terms of the artistry or craft that went in. So you see older houses with a lot of these really unique uh, features, you know, all that uh, decorative woodwork that we love to admire so much. That and other features uh, that were, I guess, 
necessary at the time. I'm thinking in terms of uh, uh, heating, (laughs) you know, and the types (laughs) of ways that homes were heated at one time. I'm thinking also in terms of, um, you know, some of the special crafts that go into, like, for instance, making wooden windows. And I know that's one of your favorite topics. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that we're concerned about uh, kind of broadly in terms of heritage buildings in, in the province is, you know, where do you go to, you know, find the people who who are used to dealing with these types of things like heritage doors and heritage windows. You know, a lot of people um, who have an older home, they're, they're really concerned about things like, uh, you know, thermal efficiency. You know, some of these older houses can be incredibly expensive to heat. Uh, many of our older houses in the province were never insulated. Back in the days when everyone had coal and wood stoves, you know, you could just pump the house full of heat and, and that would be fine. And today, you know, where heating costs are so much more, you know, people are more... Uh, uh, are more sensitive about what what they what they want to spend in terms of a, a heating bill. So yeah, certainly some of these older houses do have I- issues like that. But yeah, going back to this idea of skills, you know, like we we are really uh, trying to encourage people to learn some of those skills. So we have a mentor apprentice program in the province for heritage craft, and things like windows and doors uh, are part of that. So we have I think we have right now two mentor internship. Um, uh, mentor-apprentice internships, you know, where people are looking specifically at learning and passing on some of those skills about how you repair older windows instead of just putting in new ones. It strikes me, too, that when people pick up a heritage property or have a heritage property, or if you tour a heritage property, it's so much different than uh, a brand new build. In a brand new build, you're looking at uh, the layout of the kitchen and the uh, uh, cathedral ceilings and the open spaces and the mudroom and the, the rec room <laughs> yeah. and all this sort of thing. But in some of these heritage structures, you're like, come here, i got to show you this. This is how they used to do this. Look at yeah. this. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a discovery. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's one of the, the interesting things about, you know, older homes is that they're kind of quirky, you know, like, <laughs> I know uh, I live in a 1920s house, <coughs> excuse me, and the, um, you know, there's not a right angle, I think, anywhere, or, and the floors certainly aren't perfectly level, but I kind of like that. You know, I like having the, the house with a little bit of quirkiness and the older, the older details. And, you know, a, a lot of the materials in our, in our older homes were, were built by hand. Hand, you know, so they're, every house is slightly different. Um, they're not all built on one plan uh, with, you know, materials that are brought in from somewhere else. So, uh, yeah, there is, some, there is something unique about our older properties and, and just the way they've been adapted and changed over time. They, they tell lots of stories. They certainly do. I uh, used to live in a little house on Pleasant Street, and uh, you you talked about the level, the floors not being level. I had a friend come over. He used to be my coworker in Gander, as a matter of fact, and he came over with his little fella and put the little fella on the floor, and the little fella literally stood there like he was surfing, <laughs> going, <"Whoa." laughs> and I hadn't thought about it, but you know, he wasn't used to these floors. Yeah. slanting like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I know some of the older houses in downtown St. John's um, specifically, you know, after the Great Fire in 1892, so many houses were kind of thrown up and, and some of them were very well designed and some of them, you know, maybe were built by people who were more interested in getting a house up quickly. And so you go into some of these older houses and they're, you know, the stairs are all kind of slightly askew and, and, and the rooms are all slightly different sizes. Um, but again, yeah, that's what adds to the charm of, of our of some of our heritage properties. 
Is it hard to get a contractor who sort of gets that? Yeah, I mean, I often uh, see contractors come in and they say, oh my, what was going on here? We got to take this out. We got to do this. Yeah. Or, or do you, do you, is it better to get a contractor who says, okay, we can work with this? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the, that's the, the dream. Um, the, uh, you know, contractors, uh, you know, are, I think many contractors these days are used to dealing with newer builds. Like they're, they're, they're interested in newer construction, but there's a lot of people out there who have kind of a finesse. Sometimes finding those people are, is difficult. Um, you know, I, I find sometimes outside of St. John's, uh, you know, in smaller communities, there's always some old fella who, who knows how to cobble things together and he can look at something and say, Oh yeah, I can I can work with that, or I can do that. Um, but you know, quite often, you know, it's a it's an issue that we see all the time is that someone has an older house and they and they find a contractor, and the contractor will say, oh, you know, the best thing to do is to tear out all those windows and put new vinyl windows in because you won't have any problems with them. And they are they are, um, you know, partially correct in some ways. You know that that certainly there is an ease um, and a quickness to dealing with it. You know, uh, you know, I had a conversation with a man a little while ago. About about storm windows on your houses, and he's like, I don't want to get up every, every you know, s- spring and fall and take down and put up storm windows. Um, and and so I think older houses they require a certain touch. You know, there is a certain amount of care and work that goes into it that that really is different from owning a modern house. And so finding the right craftspeople to work on the house is is definitely important. And and there are shortages. It is hard to find people who who are uh, experts at some of that stuff. Now, that might seem daunting to a lot of people, but there's some really beautiful properties out there, and I want you to highlight some of them when we come back and talk about some other work you're, you're doing right now. My guest today on On Target is uh, the Executive Director of Heritage NL, Dale Jarvis. We'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. And we're back. Our guest today on On Target is Executive Director of Heritage NL, Dale Jarvis. And we're talking a little bit about uh, heritage properties that you've been highlighting. Tell us about some of these properties. Yeah. So, uh, you know, every year we, we give out grants for, for properties, for, for designated properties that are undergoing restoration. And the past year we've been trying something a little bit different with our granting program. And that's really trying to work with the property owner to not only restore the exterior of the building, but but also to really dig deeply into the history of that building and trying to figure out more of, you know, what is special about that, what stories it tells, and to try and work with property owners to, you know, find a potential reuse for that building. Not, not everything we do is a heritage home. We have other types of buildings. So we've been really focusing in on a few of our properties um, and, you know, uncovering a whole bunch of uh, historical mysteries with some of these buildings. And I can tell right away that you have stories. <laughs> I, I, Linda, I always have stories. You know? <laughs> um, one of the ones that we, we're doing some work on right now um, is is a building that I think many people would recognize. Probably not many people have been inside, but um, people who live in the Brigus area or who or who have vig- visited Brigus in Conception Bay um, might know of the Fowler House. Um, it's one of these houses. It's right on the road. It's a Second Empire style house, which means it has that curving kind of mansard roof. Uh, at the top, um, and it has a, a 
an attached little shop to one side. The house has been painted yellow for many, many years. And what makes that little shop interesting is there's kind of a picture window in the front, and then above it, there's a door, and it has one of those old net rollers, so like a, a rolling device along the bottom of the door so that people would have been able to haul nets up into the, into the twine loft. It's a house that's been photographed, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times, and people, you know, often stop in, in Brigus when they're walking through and have a, have a look at it. Uh, that house has a new owner, and, and so one of the things we're trying to do is, is to try and figure out the history of the building. So we were out and had a, a grand kind of exploration of it, and like many of our properties in Newfoundland and Labrador, it's undergone a lot of changes over the years. So when you walk in, one of the things that's um, missing in the building, for example, is the chimney. You know, most of our older houses have a chimney of some kind, and there's none in this house. It was uh, obviously taken out and the the walls have all been kind of rearranged and moved around so that that you know uh, is really interesting for people who love architectural history because it lets us you know kind of uh, imagine what the house used to be like and we can kind of track it over time and the house was built around the 1850s and it had a whole series of of owners including the Fowler family after whom it's named um, but uh, lots of great stories about the shop um, it was owned by a family called the Garlands uh, at one point. And Mrs. Garland um, uh, had a, a shop in the building. And there were a number of different shops. One, at one point, it was a candy store. Uh, I know my conversations with you, Linda, always seem to come back to food uh, for some reason. And, uh, and there was a bullseye shop uh, in the building. Now, you know what a bullseye? Do you remember bullseyes? Uh, oh, my gosh. I'm thinking, no. So bullseyes are little, like, now everyone's going to phone in and tell me I'm telling you the wrong thing, because it's one of these little Newfoundland words that has different meanings depending on where you are. But it's basically kind of like a pulled molasses candy. Um, so you would make this pulled molasses candy, and you'd snip it off into little uh, little bits. And there were lots of people that had bullseye shops, um, which would just be a little shop where kids would come and buy, buy candy. So this was a very, very popular part of, of uh, Brigus history. Um, and then later on as well, there was a, a family who had a hat shop, a, a millinery shop in, in the in the in the building. Um, so this was when it was owned by the the, the Garlands. Uh, so she would sell things like ribbons and bonnets, and she would make and sell hats. And the story is it has this beautiful multi-paned window in the shop. And so the story was that she would set up her hats in the window. Um, and then in the mornings when she came in, she would find that some of the hats had been knocked down or moved around uh, inside the shop. And so old Mrs. Garland became convinced um, that there was a ghost in the building, that someone was, uh, this uh, spirit was the person who was, who was responsible for moving uh, all of these things around. Um, but apparently there was a tiny little hole in one of the, the corners of the pane of, uh, pane where the panes of glass were, and a local youngster um, had discovered that if he took a, a long piece of wire and kind of fed it in through the little hole, he could knock the hats off. So unfortunately there wasn't a ghost, but I, I guess fortunately for Mrs. Garland, there was 
wasn't a wasn't a ghost uh, in the house. Oh, what a fabulous story! Yeah, and there was a years ago. Also, people will remember there used to be a a, a walking tour uh, in Brigus, a Steps Through Time tour that was organized by Vonda Maunder, a well-known dance uh, instructor uh, in Conception Bay. And so I was talking to her, and she was like, "Oh yeah, and we we included this story on the walking tour." So it's a story that lots of people have heard over over the generations about Mrs. Garland and the not quite haunted hat shop. That's fantastic. And uh, when you um, sent me the link to Fowler House, I instantly recognized uh, the building. Uh, anybody who's been to Brigus will know it right away. Is there a photographic record? You say it's it's gone through these changes over the years. Is there a photographic record? Or, uh, do, are yeah, you interested in that kind of thing? Absolutely. You know, so if people have photos, uh, that's always something we, we ask for, um, you know, because we like, we like seeing photos of the building throughout time because then you can tell, okay, well, this window was changed then and this window was changed then. Um, we think that the building, it's a three-story building now, but we think it was originally only a two-story building. And then one of the owners at some point, you know, uh, had a bit more money and they wanted to put in this upper, upper floor. Um, and what is really interesting about this house is that it has ground level doors on all three stories. And I know that sounds a little confusing <laughs> to think about, but on the ground floor, there's a front door and a side door that comes out on the ground level. And then the building is built right tight up against the hill behind it. There's not much space there at all. So when you go up to the second story, there is a door on the second story that goes out into the hill, onto the hill at ground level. And if you go up under the third story of the house, there's another door with a little set of stairs that also comes down a little bit further up the hill. I, I don't know of another house quite like it, where you can actually say that it has uh, four ground level uh, entrances on three different floors. That's amazing. So any idea what the new owner is doing with it? Are they just enjoying the property or do they have plans? Yep. Um, there's a new owner, Stephen Burford, young young owner. He and his family are interested in, in restoring the house. So he's getting, he, we're, we've been working with him and trying to figure out what he's going to be doing. Um, and they've started a, an Instagram account to kind of track um, their progress. Uh, so if people are on Instagram, they can look up Brigus uh, Twine Loft is what they're calling the property. And and, uh, and hopefully we'll be working with them to do a little bit of like social media storytelling and, and kind of tell the story of the building as we, as we find out more and, uh, and also track what's happening with the building as it, as it kind of undergoes uh, a, re- a restoration. Um, you were also asking about photos. Um, one of the great things about this building is that there are, there are previous owners who are still alive who've been involved with, um, you know, doing uh, renovations to the building over time. And so one of our researchers here, uh, Megan Webb, in the office, she's been tracking down previous owners and and trying to figure out if they have old photos, so we can figure out you know where the missing chimney was and where the where the walls were originally. So it's a great little piece of uh, detective work on her part. It is amazing, you know. Uh, sometimes you know, and Facebook groups are great for this. Somebody will post a picture of a community you're well familiar with, and it'll be from a certain era, and you're looking at it, and you go, "Now that looks familiar. That's got to be such and such street," but I don't. Is that the, you know, (laughs) you you always have to really second guess yourself because buildings change so dramatically. Some come down, others go up. It's really amazing in how um, houses that have been there for so long do evolve and change. 
Yeah, one, one, of our, uh, one of our other researchers here in the office, Andrea O'Brien, uh, she found a great photograph on, on, one of a, on a Facebook page um, that is kind of a different angle of the house, and it shows kind of from the top of the hill up behind the property where there was um, uh, what looks like a barn or a stable of some kind uh, that matches up with what today is the remains of a cellar, um, and they had an enormous potato garden at the top of the hill that is now much grown over, but it's uh, yeah, it is amazing to see how much the landscape has changed um, uh, over the over the decades, uh, and how you know our, our you know we we uh, we've kind of moved away from everyone having their home gardens, um, especially in kind of more urban areas. Uh, but here is this beautiful example of this big house with this ginormous potato garden that must have fed half a brigus uh, in potatoes, I think. <laughs> and uh, you've been doing some work on the old SUF uh, building in Pooch Cove, trying to probe into the history there. I want to talk to you a little bit about that when we come back after the break. My guest today on On Target is the Executive Director of Heritage NL, Dale Jarvis. We'll be back right after this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show. Midnight on your VOCM. And our guest today is the Executive Director of Heritage NL, Dale Jarvis, and uh, we're talking a little bit about heritage buildings and some of the work they've been doing over the summer. Uh, What about the old SUF, or Society of United Fishermen Building in Pooch Cove? What are you learning there? This is a building that we, we've kind of been paying attention to for for a while. It was uh, it was a building that uh, ha- had been used for quite a long time for for storage. Uh, you know, I remember being in there and it was just uh, fishing gear and nets and and everything uh, there. Um, but the building was actually kind of well preserved on the interior. You know, it needs a, it needs a bit of love and a coat of paint and whatnot. But the inside still had all the original wood uh, trim work and whatnot. Um, so yeah, it was kind of an interesting interesting building. The building was built, I guess, kind of before the before the First World War. Um, the lodge itself was started, the, the group was started around 1900, um, but then there was, a, there was a building that was opened, it was torn down, and then the current building was built around 1920 uh, or so. Um, and it's been in constant use by the community ever since. One of these, you know, one of these places that was really the heart of the community, I think, uh, because it was certainly used by the society Society of United Fishermen, but then it was used for all kinds of, of other things. Um, you know, it, it, so many people had their wedding receptions in that building. There was a huge history of there being music in that property, concerts and dances. Um, so all kinds of really interesting things. It was, it was also the space where, you know, when they were going to do a draw for trap berths, you know, that was the spot where they would go. Or if there were political meetings or, um, you know, when the radio and the gramophone kind of came around, you know, that would, they would have radio nights and gramophone evenings and things like that. So yeah, it has always been, been used for different things. Uh, and the building's been kind of acquired by, uh, by the community. And, and there's a really passionate group of people with the Pooch Cove uh, Heritage Society uh, who want to see the building uh, restored, but also kind of given a new life in the community. Um, one of the challenges with a lot of our you know, uh, kind of institutional buildings, our lodges and churches, is that, you know, as organization membership, 
membership declines or congregations shrink, uh, sometimes we need to find new uses for these places. So we've been going through this process with the town uh, and, the, and the Heritage Society, uh, bringing people together and having conversations about what they, what they think should happen uh, in, that, in that particular building. So we've had um, a couple really good meetings where people have come out and said, you know, this is what I would like to see in my community, and this is, these are my memories of the building. Uh, so we've recently released a report on, you know, what are some options for the property, you know, that would, uh, you know, that would give it a new life, where it would still be used for some of those things that people remember, you know, like the concerts and the music and the receptions and those kinds of things. So it's kind of a lengthy process, um, but I think the town is really going about it the right way uh, and really uh, kind of doing their homework and figuring out, you know, what, what the possible uh, reuse of the building is. I know they've been doing a lot of really great oral history research, you know, collecting people's, uh, collecting people's stories again, which, I'm, which I always love. Um, you know, one gentleman had a, had a memory about all the, the cold plate dinners that they used to have in the hall. And, and he said, you know, the tables were groaning with the weight of the food. Which, um, again, here we go back to, back to food again. But, you know, the, the, these are the things that stick in people's uh, minds when, when we're talking about old buildings. It's not necessarily like who the architect was or what kind of style the, the property is. Um, you know, it's people's memories and how those buildings were used as a really integral part of the community for so many years. So is there a desire to see it return to a, a public space again? It was once a gathering place, then a storage place. Uh, could it once again, you know, invite people in? Yeah, absolutely. And I think when uh, when we met with the community, you know, there there were a couple themes that emerged, and and the one was that it really does need to maintain um, its space as a, as a community oriented space. Um, so there are lots of ideas around having it be a multi use space. You know, having having it be available as a kind of flexible performance space. You know, um, an, an arts space of some. Kind kind. Uh, but there's also kind of a sense, you know, this needs to be something that, you know, we we also want to invite outsiders to come into as well. We want it to be for the community and have it open as a community space. So one of the ideas that is being tossed around is having the um, the hall kind of serve as a, as a local tourism hub. You know, there's so many people who come to this province or people within the province who come to hike the, like the East Coast Trail, for example. Um, so the, the, one of the things that came up in the discussion, well, wouldn't it be great to have a space, you know, where people could come, you know, whether it be washrooms, maybe even, um, uh, you know, a laundry station, they could refill their water bottles, you know, they could, uh, you know, maybe check their email, um, all, all these kinds of little services that would be great for people who are then kind of venturing out to, to do a hike on the, on the East Coast Trail. So sort of a trailhead uh, facility um, that could still then be used both as a public space um, and also to still tell the story of the SUF. That was something that was really, really important, that no matter what the building is used for, the locals are really um, uh, adamant that the story of the hall and its role in the community is told. So that might be through wall panels or some other kind of interpretation as well. So yeah, I think they have lots of great ideas about what they can do to make it a really vibrant community space. There's a beautiful 
old film um, from the NFB dating back to the early 60s, I think it is, uh, based in Baleen. It's about Baleen. And it shows, it, it actually features at one point some of these trap birth draws. And wow, what a dramatic series of events take place there. It was a huge yeah. gathering. It, it was... It was a big deal. It was a big deal, really important. And, and you know, I think, you know, as the, the Society of United Fishermen still exists, um, and it's kind of a, 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 an organization with a unique history. It's a, it's a fraternal organization like, you know, the Masons or the Knights of Columbus or whatever. But it, it, it is unique in that it was, it was created here. It was created here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, and uh, the SUF uh, Hall Number 1 is another one of our buildings out in Hearts Content another community where we've been doing a lot of work. So I think, I think there is an interest among some of the older SUF members. You know, we want to tell the stories about the fishery and, and the important role that the fishery had, especially in communities like, like Pooch Cove. And, of course, the SUF was important in, in changing that dynamic between the merchants and the, and the harvesters and that sort of thing. It, it, it gave some of that power back to the, back to the harvesters. Yeah. So th- I think there's a lot of different stories that we could, uh, that we could tell there. Um, and one of, the, one of the other things that's kind of interesting, you know, they, they said that when it was for lo- lodge meetings, um, it was very much um, a male space. Like it was a space where only the men, only men could be members of the men organization and so they'd have these special times where it was just men but then it was also at the same time um, a very inclusive space you know because there was always a women's association there were this huge you know tradition of, of soup suppers and cold plate suppers and the local women were uh, just as an important part of the history of that building as the local men fascinating stuff um, and uh, one thing that I've always been fascinated by are these uh, um, older communities that have these little laneways Harbor Grace being one of them and I know you've done work on that uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about that when we come back after the break our guest today on on target is the executive director of Heritage NL Dale Jarvis we'll be back right after this nutrition exercise keeping the cold at bay whatever keeps you feeling great the wellness and healthy lifestyle show on your VOCM. And we're back. We're speaking with Executive Director of Heritage NL, Dale Jarvis. And if you've ever been to Harbor Grace, and if you've never been to Harbor Grace, it's Harbor Grace is basically two long roads, Harvey Street and Water Street, running parallel to each other along this very deep harbor. It's not deep in terms of the water. It's actually quite shallow, but it's uh, it, it, it goes inland for quite some distance. And, but if you're driving along Harvey Road, for instance, and you're looking towards Water Street, you may notice a lot of these little roads and laneways crisscrossing and going in between houses and stuff. You say, what's that all about? So you've done work into that. Yeah. You know, Harbor Grace is one of these communities that has um, kind of an interesting history. I want to say a great history, an interesting history of town fires. So there have been lots of fires over the years in in Harbor Grace, you know. Um, And it was quite a a large, prosperous town, you know, back in the the 1800s. And there was a sense, okay, we need to do something um, about these fires in, in in the community. And they actually had um, a surveyor come out and, and kind of survey a plan, uh, a gentleman by the name of Node, and there's a Node's Lane named after him in the community, uh, and he, uh, he uh, surveyed the area, and they set up essentially what were fire breaks, you know, so they had these little laneways that were set up so that if a, if a block caught on fire, 
there would be kind of an opportunity for the firefighters to, to stop the fire before it would spread over the next block. We see those in St. John's uh, as well. Um, so as a result, uh, Harbor Grace kind of evolved, in a, in downtown Harbor Grace anyway, in a, in a slightly different pattern than you would see in lots of other communities, which where the streets are all kind of higgledy-piggledy and whatnot, um, that there is kind of almost a grid pattern for, for, the, for the Heritage District, the older part of, of downtown Harbor Grace. Um, and then uh, over the years, you know, these all have names, of course, uh, and those names really have are kind of a, a little way to peer into the past in Harbor Grace and to, to get to some of those interesting stories and little interesting bits of, of local history. So uh, Harbor Grace has been doing a lot of work uh, promoting their history and, and, um, and, and doing some work around um, kind of urban trails and, and, and uh, coming up with a plan for how they want to improve you know, the flow, the street traffic flow through the community. So we had an opportunity to do some work with the town of Harbor Grace and uh, Memorial University. I had a group of students from the folklore department, uh, and we all went out to Harbor Grace and had a grand uh, walk around. Uh, and then the students compiled a, a, a quite a great piece of research, uh, kind of delving into the histories of these back lanes um, and where their names come from and all the kinds of different interesting activities that took place, um, uh, some of which, you know, are, are, are long gone. You know, like there were stories about um, tanneries, for example, and blacksmith shops. Um, and you can see, you know, when you walk through Harbor Grace, there's lots of these old iron gates uh, everywhere, um, but not very many black sh- uh, blacksmith shops left. But there was a, a big history of that in the community. Yeah, and so many different things. I mean, tucked away in some of these places, there's a a tennis court. I think it was one of the first tennis courts in all of Newfoundland. Uh, It's just amazing. Yeah, and a little, uh, you know, a little hidden cemetery, you know, back, one of the, the oldest Roman Catholic cemetery is off one of these lanes, Bennett's uh, Lane, um, uh, and, you know, it's a great history with our, our local cemeteries. There's a, a, a particular grave there that is kind of a, a fairly well-known spot in the area. There is, a, the, the grave itself is, is quite broken up over the years. It was a, it was a stone tomb, which has a very prominent uh, skull and crossbones uh, design. And, and Harbor Grace does has, have a history of piracy, and so all these legends um, have risen up over the years about which pirate might possibly be buried at Bennett's Lane Cemetery. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, it's just a legend. <laughs> it's, it wasn't actually a real pirate. Um, the I believe it's a woman and a child, is it not? Or something like that, they think? The, the skull and crossbones, it's actually a, a, a symbol that you you see on other old old headstones. It's, it's what uh, we would call a memento mori, you know, that, uh, that you are, it's a symbol to remind you that this too shall pass and that all of us one day will be uh, in our graves. Um, we we kind of go for more cheerful headstone imagery <laughs> these days, but that was certainly very, very popular at, at one point. Um, so yeah, the students had great fun, I think, going through and, and uh, exploring and finding up uh, out where all these names uh, come from. You know, like one, one of the examples is uh, uh, Lampens Lane, you know, which is kind of a, an unusual name. We don't have a lot of Lampens Lanes in, in the province, but there was a schoolmaster uh, named William Lampen, um, and he was there pretty early in the late 1700s, uh, and he taught 
students there. He opened up a Sunday school to, to give education to students who couldn't afford to, to go to school. Um, so he, uh, yeah, kind of an interesting, we, we don't really remember much about him today, but his name lives on uh, on the laneway that's named after him. It's amazing because really when you look at the map of Newfoundland and Labrador and you see the names of all of these places, uh, that's what tells the story. We, we don't really have a written history in a lot of areas, but the names live on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's one of the reasons I love uh, place names is because they, uh, they, they're almost like little fossils. It's fossilized history in some way, you know, and, and people live on laneways or streets and they don't always know where the name comes from. Um, but doing a little bit of digging, you can, you can find out. One of the other great laneways there is uh, Doctor's Lane um, right in the Heritage District, and, and it's named after a number of different doctors uh, who had uh, surgeries in, in Newfoundland. And so uh, the students found, you know, great photos of, um, you know, f- doctors and pharmacists who had lived there in the 1800s. And we've put all that information online onto a, onto a uh, Wikiversity, kind of like a Wikipedia for universities page. And so it's there and it's accessible and anyone um, w- can go in and, and look at it and learn the history of all these little streets. Uh, and I think it's a great project that pretty much every community in in the province, you know, if they had some summer students or, or they had an interested group of volunteers, you know, there's so much history behind all our local place names. And it's there's just um, fascinating when you start to, to start to explore where all these things come from. And where can you find that? Uh, you can find it if you uh, if you just uh, do a Google search for laneways of Harbor Grace, um, it'll pop up. I think it's the, the first result on Google if you just type in laneways of Harbor Grace. Um, and there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven or so uh, different laneways that we've got little histories uh, for. And, and the nice thing about doing that project is, uh, you know, we, we were able to collect stories from locals. The students did interviews with people in the community as well. So some of it's based on archival research, but some of it's based on more uh, contemporary memories that people have, like about the tennis court, for example, and, and you know, things that they've uh, experienced in the, in the community. So h- history continues um, to expand, and it's all around us, and it's not necessarily ancient stuff that happened in the 1700s. It's the stuff that happened, it happens right up into the present. Now, we only have uh, two minutes left, and we never even talked about your root cellar website. Oh, root cellars. Well, we'll just have to have another chat about root cellars. But yeah, we just did a great root cellar project um, with the, the Canadian Museum of History, the Digital Museums Canada. Um, so people can go online and if they want to learn all about uh, uh, Newfoundland root cellars, if they don't already know, they can go to communitystories.ca. Uh, that's the Digital Museums of Canada website. And there's great information about all about the history of root cellars in Newfoundland and Labrador. So what's on your plate now for the fall and winter? What's on the plate? I, we're, we're doing some work. There's, um, there's a school in Adams Cove, an old two-story Methodist school that I think we're going to be doing some research on. Uh, and at some point, we're going out to Twillingate. Uh, we're doing, going to be doing some work with the Masonic Temple out there. They've got a whole pile of uh, um, objects and artifacts and documents they want us to have a, a look at and, and to do something similar like we did for Pooch Cove and kind of help them come up with a plan for, you know, what what is, uh, what is the next generation going to inherit when it comes to this uh, amazing heritage building in Twillingate? 
It really is great. Just a great, big, huge, beautiful yeah. building. and Very uh, impressive. Lovely interior with all that old pressed tin that you don't see much anymore. Wow. Well, Dale, this has been a pleasure as always. I really appreciate your time this afternoon. Thanks so much. Thank you. Always love having a chat. Alrighty. And we'll be back tomorrow. Of course, this is the Labor Day weekend, so we'll be talking Labor Day with one of the province's uh, leading labor leaders. So uh, stay tuned for that. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening, everyone.